Hello and welcome to our Trail Magic Podcast, where we seek to equip college students with resources, biblical teaching, and helpful conversations for the journey ahead. This summer, the focus of our College Connection teaching will be on the subject of prayer. The Gospels tell us this was the request of the disciples to Jesus and one of the central tasks of Jesus' earthly ministry. Join us all summer long for encouraging messages to help you grow in your prayer life as a believer. Let's hit the trail. Father, we come to you asking that you will teach us to pray both from your word and from the Holy Spirit. And then as we just learn to get to know you better and better throughout our lives uh, so that our times with you are times not just with a distant deity, but with the Father whom we love. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been, uh, in my messages this summer, stressing uh, the idea of glorifying God in, in our prayers. And the reason I've been stressing that is that we are very often just focused on me and myself and my needs. And uh, uh, we need to think in larger circles. And so today I want to talk about glorifying God by praying for our own sanctification, for our own holiness. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians, uh, or your phones, or whatever you've got, we'll be looking at a few other passages, but most of the ones we'll be looking at will be in Philippians, and uh, the others I'll put on the screen, but not the Philippians one. So please turn to chapter 1. We'll be there in just a moment. When we talk about sanctification, that's just another word for holiness. And in our Bible, sometimes you'll find one version will use the word holiness, and another version will use the word sanctification. Uh, they're basically synonymous. Um, believers in Jesus Christ have what is called positional sanctification the moment they're saved. Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Now, when he says to all the saints, he is not writing a letter to a select group of Christians, the specially good ones. He's calling all the believers in Philippi saints. And you, you find that designation several times in New Testament letters. And so the, the basic idea behind holiness in the Old Testament is separation. Um, God is separate from us because of his majesty. He's the creator, we're the creature. He is infinitely pure, we are not. In, in many ways, there's this separation. And when people are set apart to God, or when things are set apart to God, they're called holy, or they're sanctified, or they're consecrated. So, so you have holy vessels in the temple, not because those golden bowls were morally pure, but because they were set apart to God. So positionally, we are set apart to God uh, the moment we uh, come to faith in Christ. We are holy in that sense. We're sanctified. We're saints. So the word saint is uh, simply a, 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 another noun form of the same root word for holiness both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. 
but God not only counts us as holy, he commands us to pursue holiness or sanctification. And we see that in Hebrews 12, 14, which I think can be on the screen there. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And so to pursue peace and to pursue sanctification is part of our calling. And he says, without this holiness or sanctification, no one will see the Lord. So this is not a, a positional sanctification. It's a practical sanctification. And if you heard Pastor Scott this morning on uh, first, Second Peter, he was stressing uh, the importance of holiness in our lives and, and our activity in pursuing it. And so it's not that pursuing holiness is what gets us saved. It's not our justification. It's not as though we are gradually justified or counted righteous. We're counted righteous the moment we believe in Christ. But pursuing holiness is crucial because those who don't pursue holiness will not see the Lord. Um, holiness is then like the highway. How, how many of you have read or seen Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, some of you have. If you haven't, you need to put it on your list. Um, there, there are children's versions. There are all sorts of versions. But uh, um, even the old English version you can read. Uh, so in Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim is saved when he comes to the cross and his burden falls off his back. He has this heavy, heavy burden. But the storyline is that he walks along this highway all the way till he gets to the celestial city. He has to cross the river of death. Now, Pilgrim um, fights the devil. Um, he uh, sometimes gets sidetracked. He ends up in the castle of the giant despair and, uh, and almost despairs of his salvation. Uh, he stumbles, he falls, but always God brings him back. God brings him back. God brings him back so that he, he ends up walking the whole distance to the heavenly city. So that's what pursuing holiness is. Your burdens are, are, are drop off at the cross, but, uh, but it is essential that you keep walking the highway. And there are lots of people who don't come by the cross and are on the highway for a little ways with pilgrim. With, with Christian, he's called Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. And, but, they, but they drop off, they drop off. But the one who comes to the cross is enabled by God to persevere on that highway all the way along. So this is, this is uh, the pursuit of, of holiness. Um, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Now, the Lord Jesus prayed for your sanctification. In John chapter 17, what we think of as Christ's great high priestly prayer, praying for his people, he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And he specifically said there that he was not just praying for the apostles, but for those who would believe through their word. That means that Jesus was praying for you who believe in Jesus Christ because of the apostolic word of, of the scripture, the, the New Testament. And so um, Christ prayed for your sanctification then, and he prays for your sanctification now also as your great high priest in heaven. Um, 
you find that the Apostle Paul in his letters frequently prayed that his readers would exhibit holy lives. We're going to look at one of those prayers in just a moment. He doesn't use the word holiness here, but it's, it's the substance of what he's talking about. So um, if the Lord Jesus has prayed for your holiness and continues to pray for it, if the Apostle Paul found it worthwhile to pray for uh, his churches, that the believers there would exhibit holy lives, we ought also to be praying for our own holiness. We're going to look at that in Philippians. Um, so first of all, we have a summary of sanctification in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, the prayer that he prays. So if you'll follow along, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so um, here is Paul's very brief prayer, and many of the epistles, of course, have, uh, have prayers that are similar to this. There's a summary of sanctification here, uh, and in these verses, the Paul gives a, an excellent summary of how we could pray for ourselves as he prays uh, for these people. The heartbeat of holiness is, is love. Um, you remember the great commandment? The people asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest commandment is what? Yeah. Yeah, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. What is the second? Yeah, you love your neighbor as yourself. So, so love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul says that specifically in Galatians. Um, but we are very often um, deceived as to what love means. When I was in college, um, situation ethics was a big deal. And, and the idea was if you do the loving thing, defined by you, basically, if you do the loving thing, then you're, you're right. That's good. And so they would give examples. Uh, one I remember, here's this woman who uh, is in, in prison uh, as a, uh, during uh, probably the Second World War. I don't remember what the situation was. And she has a husband, and she has children at home. And uh, so the only way she could get out of prison is if she were pregnant. So she asks one of the guards to get her pregnant, and he willingly complies. So she gets out, and she gets to go home and be with her family. And that's a loving act. Therefore, it was right. Well, what does God say? God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? So we want to define love for ourselves. And when you start doing that, you, you go completely off base. And so he says um, in verse um, 9, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Real knowledge, not fake knowledge. Well, where do you get real knowledge? Where do you get, how do you know what's real? Got it? Yeah, the word of God, right. And so um, biblical knowledge and discernment are the guidelines or the parameters of what real love is. And so in 1 John chapter 5, uh, the apostle says uh, that that 
loving God is keeping his commandments. Um, then what is the purpose of that? That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may approve the things that are excellent. In other words, the purpose you're to have, the goal is to, to be people filled with love. But you've got to define love and understand what love is biblically, to have real knowledge, so that you can discern what is good, what is excellent, so that you know what, not just the outlines of what is right and wrong, but that you develop a biblical discernment of how God wants you to behave. Because the goal of knowledge is not just to fill our heads. The goal of, of real knowledge and discernment is to change our lives. Um, so then he says, uh, the result of approving what is excellent, in order that you may be, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. So the result of this knowledge that you have through the Bible and the discernment you develop and your approving of what is excellent is that your lives might be filled with the fruit of righteousness, the goal of a blameless character. Then, finally, the last phrase is to the glory and praise of God. And so the last thing, that, the last line of the prayer, as he's praying for the holiness of these believers, is that it would be to the glory and praise of God. So if you are praying that the Lord would make you more loving, that he would give you a real understanding of his word and how he wants you to behave, how he wants your heart to be trained um, so that your love is genuine love. Um, as you pray for all of these things, the result will be that God is glorified. That's why I said that we glorify God in our prayers by praying for our own sanctification. It's not a selfish prayer at all because the kind of lives that God wants us to have uh, glorify him. Um, well, then we need a little bit more on the pattern of sanctification. Uh, what does it look like? And we have that in Philippians chapter 2, a very familiar passage, I hope, for many of you. And I can't do it justice tonight, but I'll just skim over a couple of highlights. Philippians 2 if you'll turn there, verse 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, there's our word, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The pattern for sanctification is not just getting rid of destructive addictions. Sin is addictive. All sin is addictive. Um, and, uh, I mean, you can be addicted to anger uh, and selfishness, just as other people might be addicted to alcohol or drugs. Uh, it's a pattern that gradually constricts you and, and binds you closer and closer to that one addictive pattern of behavior. And uh, many times when people come to Christ, that's what they're thinking of. They're thinking of the devastation that sin has produced in their lives. They're thinking of God's judgment on sin and uh, the threat of hell. They're thinking of the, 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 the death of Christ for their sins. And, and they come asking God to to uh, save them from their sins, and th they want to be rid of those things. And that's good and proper, and it's right. But um, as we begin to grow in the Lord and we see what God has for us and what he wants of us, we realize it's not just a matter of getting rid of those bad habits. The holiness is not just negative, it's positive. And it's likeness to Christ that we're seeking, that we want to develop in ourselves, that God wants to be at work uh, producing in us. And that likeness to Christ is particularly, in this passage, humility. Um, we, we looked a little earlier at love being the heart of, of God's commands, but pride is the opposite of loving God and loving other people. Pride is the enemy of love. And so when he's talking about having this uh, love, this compassion, this affection, uh, being uh, united in spirit, um, being humble, the heart of humility and the heart of love really are the same thing. They come down to the same end. Because without love for God and love for others as ourselves, uh, we won't be humble. Um, and if we're proud, that drives out love. And so Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. And so when we talk about holiness, we're not only talking about uh, love, but in a more concrete sense, it's having the humility of Jesus Christ being worked out in us. Um, the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Well, here we see that our lives are to follow the pattern of Christ's life. Christ humbled himself. God exalted him. Christ, we are to humble ourselves that God may exalt us. 
And we might be tempted to think, well, yeah, when, when I'm exalted, that'll be great. I'll be, you know, I'll the top of the heap. I'll be praised. That's great. Well, yes, it is. But what did it mean for Jesus? In Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11, for this reason God highly exalted him. For what reason? That he had humbled himself even to the cross and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What's the last phrase? What is it? Yes, to the glory of God the Father. And so the pattern in Jesus' life was humbling himself and being exalted to the glory of God the Father. The pattern in our lives, the pattern of holiness, is to humble ourselves that God may exalt us to his own glory. And so when we pray for holiness, when we pray for love, when we pray for discernment of what is right and wrong and what pleases God and what doesn't please him, we are praying prayers that will ultimately redound to the glory of God. Then uh, the agent of sanctification, who is it that makes us holy? This is not rocket science, you know this, but I'll tell you anyway. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Pastor quoted these verses this morning, so you're getting a double dose of it, I guess, this evening. How's that? Uh, I didn't know what he was going to preach on or how it would come out. Um, we cannot sanctify ourselves. Only God working in you is able to make you and me more like Christ. And that's the reason we have to pray for our sanctification. We, we have to ask God to make us holy. We can't do it ourselves, even though we're in the trenches. Uh, we're, we're there along with Christian and Pilgrim's Progress with his sword fighting Apollyon. Uh, we're there in Doubting Castle, um, lying there in chains and uh, uh, until we remember our promises, which is what finally got a Christian out of Doubting Castle. We're going through all of this, yes, we're in the battle, but we cannot make ourselves holy. Well, which person in the Godhead is the primary agent of sanctification? The Holy Spirit, right. Uh, on one of uh, the previous messages, I, I told you that everything that God does in us, the Father does in us through his Spirit. Jesus does these things in us through his Spirit. To have the Spirit of God in us is to have the Father living in us and the Son living in us through the Spirit. And so um, in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And then 1 Peter, 
1, 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, although over there they say it Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Well, if we cannot sanctify ourselves, if our sanctification depends on the Holy Spirit, then uh, spirit-wrought holiness brings glory to God and not really to us. Um, yeah, I, I gave a lesson to my Sunday school class uh, on, on why our good works are not meritorious. Hmm. This is not in my notes, but I'll give it to you very briefly anyway. Uh, we are created by God for good works, which he has planned beforehand, before the foundation of the world, for us to do. That's Ephesians 2.10. So our good works are planned for us by God. They are worked in us by the Holy Spirit. And they are cleansed by the blood of Christ because our best good works are still filled with all sorts of bad motives. And so, although we do the good works, they are not meritorious in any sense to earn our salvation. And they are not even meritorious for the rewards we receive. The rewards we receive are all of God's grace. And uh, Jesus said, when you've done everything that is commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. But God is pleased to reward us out of his grace and goodness for the things that we do only through the power of his Holy Spirit. So when we ask the Holy Spirit to make us holy, we are seeking God's glory because he will receive the glory for every good thing that is worked out in us. The result of holiness, Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. The result then is that we become lights in a very dark world. The world is a spiritually dark place. Uh, people are always saying that they see a way out of our troubles. The solution may be throwing money at the problem, or it may be a better education, or more police, or fewer police, or electing our savior candidate to public office. Uh, I, I have one, I guess he's a friend, who is sure I'm not a Christian because of the person for whom I voted last election cycle. Uh, I have other friends who, if I had voted for somebody different, would be sure I wasn't a Christian. Um, and uh, people put their hopes in a savior candidate. Um, you vote for somebody. But uh, apart from Christ, the, the best that the world has to offer is only a temporary, maybe partial answer, maybe like putting a Band-Aid on a snake bite. Uh, but, uh, but it's only in Jesus Christ uh, that you can be a real light in the darkness. But your light is not to glorify yourself, Pastor 
Josh spoke on the Beatitudes last, uh, last year, last fall, a year ago, I think, whenever it was. And uh, he, he stressed the upside-down character of God's kingdom. And after the Beatitudes, you have Jesus saying in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What are the good works? Well, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, those sorts of things. And that sort of thing glorifies your Father. So when you pray the Beatitudes and say, Lord, bless me, make me meek, gentle, uh, Enable me to bear persecution gladly um, throughout the whole list. When you pray for those sorts of things, the result is glorifying your Father who is in heaven as you exhibit that kind of character. So, yes, we do pray for specific sins. We do pray, Lord, deliver me from this sin or that sin or the other sin. But I encourage you also to look a little higher always and say, make me like Jesus. Uh, make me uh, humble as Jesus was. Fill me with love as Jesus is my perfect example of love. That's how God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, fill me up with your spirit so that I may be a light for your glory in this world. Let's pray. Father, as we look at ourselves, we often see a bundle of motivations and desires that are unholy. We look at the things we've said and the people we've hurt. We look at the disappointment we have in our own selves and our actions, how far short we fall. And we do pray that you will deal with us in those areas. And we know that you do forgive us when we confess our sins, that you are faithful and righteous uh, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness through the blood of your Son. We thank you for that. But we pray, Father, that you will make us more like Jesus so that we may glorify you in a dark world, that we may not just be wrapped up in all the solutions that the world has to offer and think that the healing of our nation and the healing of uh, our people depend on electing the right guy or doing the right thing with the police or whatever it may be, but that ultimately... We must be the lights in our dark world, our dark world. And we can only be that if you make us more like Jesus. We pray that you will, in his name. Trail Magic is a production of the College Ministry of Alliance Bible Fellowship in Boone, North Carolina. For more information, go to abfboone.org. Thanks for tuning in.